Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, worship team. If you've got your Bibles, if you'll open up to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, while you are turning there with me, uh, let me remind you after worship, feel free to sign up for our Wednesday night meal. We've had two incredible Wednesday nights, a family night, something for every age, and if you'll sign up in the back before you uh, head out this morning so we can have a correct count. Uh, For hot dogs, chips, uh, drinks, all that will be uh, this Wednesday night for our midweek meeting. Also today, real quickly at 5, if you're interested, we're going to be having a Jingle Jam interest meeting coming up in December, uh, an outreach event the first Sunday night in December to reach uh, families in our community. We're going to need some help with that, so if you're interested in finding out more, if you'll be here today at 5, all right? So thank you, thank you. Daniel chapter 3, if you remember last week, uh, Daniel was in a pressure cooker. Uh, this morning, we're going to find out how his friends get put into, uh, we might call it an air fryer. The heat gets turned up a little bit. And uh, Stephen's already kind of told you we're going to talk, talk a little bit about uh, what happens when the world pressures us. How do we not bow down? How do we continue to stand up amidst the things that happen in our world that would try to push us to maybe compromise our faith or maybe uh, go in a direction that we don't need to know. Now, I I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible and uh, there are some chronological things in there. But when we last read uh, chapter 2, you'll remember that the king had appointed Daniel and his friends to a big place of leadership in his hierarchy among his staff. And then we get to chapter 3, and it seems like he's totally forgotten that. And you may think in your mind, well, this was like the next day or the next week. Probably not exactly according to historians. When you look at all of the other books of the Bible, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and other books, and you look together at the timeline, uh, let me just kind of run that down for those of you who are history buffs and you like to keep things in chronological order, order, okay? About 605 B.C. is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were ordered to eat the king's food. It was about 605 B.C., before Christ. After they did their three years of learning, okay, you had those three years of learning, it was about 602 B.C. Then we get to this story, and it's probably about 586 B.C. So in other words, about 14, 15 years have passed by. Daniel more than likely and his friends are probably in their early 30s at this point. They learn the lessons of being a teenager, of following after God. And now when we get to chapter 3, more than likely they probably are around 30 years of age. So last week, Daniel had interpreted the king's dream. At least we studied it last week. It didn't happen last week. But we looked at it last week. He had interpreted the dream. Not only the dream uh, did he realize what the dream was, but he interpreted the dream. And he told Nebuchadnezzar what it meant. And then we get into chapter 3. So as you know by now, I will stop along the way 
and make several observations because I think they're very important for us to get this morning. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now let me stop for just a second. There is a noticeable disconnect if you were... With us last week, or if you know Daniel chapter 2, there's a noticeable disconnect from what Nebuchadnezzar said at the end of chapter 2 when he gave tribute and said, Surely your God is a God of all gods, and your, your God is a king of all kings. There's this disconnect for him to say that, and then all of a sudden we get to this chapter, and he is setting up an image. Some people think he did that deliberately to make an entire statue of gold to basically uh, contradict God's plan or to say to uh, Daniel and his friends, I'm going to show you who really is king. You may have a king and a God, but I'm going to show you who really is most important. It's moi, it's me, I am most important. It's interesting when you think about it because... He said what he said in the last chapter with such strong conviction. If you study the language there, he is really giving praise and recognition to Daniel's God and giving such strong conviction and passion with his words. And yet, we get to this chapter and it's totally different, which brings me to this statement I read this week. Strong convictions often come short of a sound conversion. In other words, we can have a good talk. It doesn't match our walk. Convictions are important, but convictions alone will not transform you, as we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. So he he builds this statue 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. That's the measurements. 90 feet high. That's pretty tall. That would be through the ceiling up here. Maybe about four stories. 90 feet high. What's interesting is, and you know your history, Bible history, there are a lot of idols that the, that the Babylonians and the pagans were worshiping. Why did they really need one more? Nebuchadnezzar just kind of said, I'm going to throw one more into the mix and I'm going to build this statue. And someone said this, for those who have forsaken the one living God and begin to set up many gods, they'll find that the gods they set up are so unsatisfying And their desire after them so insatiable, they continue to multiply them without measure, even when they know they're not sufficient. He spared no expense on this idol made of gold. And then what does he do? Verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Can you picture it? Messengers are dispatched to every area of the kingdom and said, hey, come here, we are going to bow down to this golden idol. All the peers in the, in the realm, all the officers, all the civil officers, all the military, the captains, the commanders, everybody was gathered together to come and bow down and worship this golden statue, which reminds me that that golden statue means nothing. One day, very similarly, every nation of the globe will gather one day to bow down and worship 
And it will not be to a golden statue, but it will be to Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Every prefect, every satrap, every province, every country, every nation, every tribe, every people will gather together to worship King Jesus. Amen? Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Can't wait. I wish it was today. Because this world is not getting any better, not getting any easier. I wish it was today. But Nebuchadnezzar thought, I'm going to try to create that scene for myself. And so he sends out the message to all those people in verse 3. All the rulers of the province, they, they show up, which is to me is amazing. Because I imagine all those other kingdom rulers had their own gods that they wanted to, to lift up first. But for some reason, they all show up at this dedication of Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. They all show up in verse 4. He gives the decree The herald loudly proclaims, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, all kinds of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be cast into the midst of a burning fire. Nebuchadnezzar was not looking at this if you did not obey his command. He was not looking on this as like going against his religion. He was looking at this as a sign of treason. Sign of going against him. Dear friends, you may wonder, is that ever going to happen again? More than likely, if these United States of America continue to move in the direction they're moving... You and I are going to be faced with the same situation. I just want you to be ready. Because there are many among us who will cry out, Lord, Lord, even on that day. And the Lord will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So I want to encourage you, check your heart. Because the day is coming. And the day may even come on this side of eternity, depending on how our country goes. You may say, has that ever happened before? Actually, it has happened before. In 1960, little history for you I found out this week. The president of Ghana had erected a slightly larger than life-size image of himself in the country of Ghana in front of the House of Parliament with an inscription on the side of his statue of himself that said, seek ye first the political kingdom and all other things will be added unto you. The statue was destroyed after a coup about six years later. Surprisingly, Daniel is absent from this story. We, we don't know where he is. We can kind of make assumptions of where he may be. He was, of course, the king's right-hand man. Maybe the king had sent him on some business somewhere else. Maybe he was, we, we don't know. But he's not in this particular story. But his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there. Now, why would they be there? Do you ask questions when you read Scripture? I hope you do, because I ask questions. Because I read this and I'm thinking, this is, this is a gathering of all these people to bow down and fall before this golden image that the king has set up. Why in the world would these three guys be there? Because we know they don't worship false gods. We know that they know who the one true God is. Why would they be there? More than likely they were there because, if you remember, they had been promoted and they were kind of statesmen in the king's staff. So they would have been expected to be there. And so they are there in attendance. And all of a sudden, the king gets news that these guys are not bowing down when the music was played. 
The Chaldeans come before the king, verse 8, and they bring charges. And they say to the king, verse 9, O king, live forever. You yourself, O king, you've made this decree that when all the music plays, we're supposed to fall down and we're supposed to worship this golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship, verse 11, shall be cast in the midst of a fire. Hey, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed. Notice how they kind of get that in there. There are certain guys that you appointed who are not obeying what you have requested. Now, we don't know. There's been a lot of interpretation. It's interesting, some things I saw this week just reading. There's been a lot of different speculation, interpretation. Some people say maybe the people who saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing were the same astrologers, astrologers, conjurers, magicians who could not interpret the dream. And so they thought, oh, I'm going to go tattletale. I'm going to go tell the king. These guys who were all that earlier could interpret this dream, uh, knew the dream and gave its interpretation. Now they're not even obeying the king's order. Oh, king, live forever. We have, we have some news for you. We've got to tell on somebody. I don't know. But they do. They bring news that these guys are not bowing down. Kind of a dilemma. They're trying to catch the king in a dilemma much like the crowd did when Jesus was brought before Pilate. They're not fans of the king. Do, do the research. They're not, they're not fans of the king. They're just trying to poke a little, uh, little attitude. And so we continue to see what happens here when they bring before them their names. These Jews, they say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have disregarded you. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in rage gives order to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. In verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar responds and says to them, here they are, they've shown up, they stand in his presence. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, all the music, the bagpipes, I think that'd be a great instrument to add to our worship team, don't you? I really do. I love the bagpipe. We need some more musicians, by the way, and instrumentalists. So if you're interested, come join us on Wednesday night. All this music is playing, and it says, if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there? who can deliver you out of my hands. Let's just stop right there for just a minute. I, I, I am in awe that three young men, in their 30s, so that's young compared to me and a lot of you in this room, that's young, right? These three young men go up against the king. They don't obey this edict, this decree that's come forth. And I start to ask questions when I read that. Why would they do that? How could they do that? Where did their, where did their dedication come from? Where did, where did their determination come from to make that kind of a decision? I saw this quote this week, and it has been, I think actually last Sunday afternoon, and it's been on my mind all week. I've got to share it with you. I would encourage you to write this down because I believe this is... A powerful, it's not me, I didn't say it. Our past experiences can limit us or liberate us into having the kind of faith God wants. Our past experiences can limit us or liberate us into having the kind of faith 
God wants, maybe God even requires. These guys had already seen what happened when they honored God. So they had this in their history, they had this in their mental history, in their background, in their toolbox, so to speak, to lean on to go, wait a minute, God showed up here, surely God will show up here. It's amazing to me, the men and women of God, many of which are in this church, that I look to with great reverence, and I think sometimes, how could they have that kind of an attitude? How could they have that kind of an outlook? How could they have that kind of faith? If you talk to them, you will find out ten times out of ten that more than likely, there's been some historical context where they've had to put their trust and faith in God in some small things, and it's grown to the next thing and grown to the next thing, and now they're mighty, mighty men and women of God. And some of us look at that and go, how in the world did that happen? Wow, how did they get so, so mighty in faith? Because God built that into them over time. After situation and experience, they saw God move. i got to be honest with you. If somebody challenged me with this and said, if you don't bow down, you're going to get thrown in a fiery furnace, I, maybe you're more holy than me. I'll just tell you right now, I'd have to give that second thought real quick and go, wait a minute, how hot is it again? We're going to find out how hot it's getting ready to be. So our ability, my ability, and guys, I'm learning just like you. As I thought about that quote this week, my ability to have the kind of faith God requires or wants sometimes is built on my past times of of worship with Him and faith with Him and turning to Him. So here these guys go. Now keep in mind, the king has already made this decree. They've already been brought in before him. They already know we we have not done what the king asked. The king already knows they haven't done what I asked. But the king, maybe because he didn't want to lose face, maybe because he's the one who put them into this power position, gives them one more opportunity. And he says to them, now as they're standing in his presence, are you going to serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? I'm just going to give you one more shot to answer correctly. Then he says, now if you're ready, we're we're going to strike up the band one more time. We're going to have them play the music one more time. And if you're ready, we'll give you one more opportunity to bow down before me. And they don't do it. So I thought about this week, how do you and I, how how can I be like these three men of faith? How can I stand in this crazy world that we live in? Let me give you the first one. The first one is I visibly can stand, visibly. Their actions were not hidden. They were in public. Everybody saw. Now it's interesting that there wasn't a big commotion, but those particular Astrologers, conjurers, magicians, we don't know. The Chaldeans saw them and saw that they weren't bowing. And so they were the ones who went and ran to King to Tattletale. But most probably a lot of people saw when the whole crowd went down to bow. And these three guys stood up. And you're looking around. I mean, if I asked everybody in here to stand and then said, everybody sit down except three of you, we all would go, well, there's three people still standing. It would be very obvious, very visible. 
These three Hebrew men probably knew they were going to be discovered, but nonetheless, they obeyed God rather than men. Makes me think about a verse of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5 that says, Don't hide your lamp under a bushel, but on the lampstand, because it will give light to everybody that's in the house. And church, I just want to tell you and confess to you that if I am living for Christ, and if you are living for Christ... It will be visible. People will be able to see it. There will be a noticeable difference in your life and in my life. You won't be able to go through life without being discovered. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said it this way, A lit candle cannot be hit. Believing in Christ and taking a stand for Christ will be Visible Now, what, what was visible was their stand for Christ. What was not visible was a lot of things that they didn't do. A lot of ways they didn't react. Again, I ask questions when I read this because I think, what was said, what was not said, what would have been my reaction if I was sold out to God and somebody told me to come bow down? My reaction would have not been their reaction because their reaction is missing a lot of things. They didn't break out into any passion against people around them that did not bow down. I can't believe you. I can't believe you're bowing down to that. Why are you doing that? Come on, stand up. There wasn't any of that. They didn't insult the people around them. They didn't rashly uh, thrust out themselves upon the crowd. They didn't... uh, Say, hey, I'm standing up because I want to be a martyr for Christ. They didn't bring attention to themselves intentionally. But they had this conduct and this courage to suffer for the Lord. Tell you what, they kept their temper admirably well in the midst of what was going on. With this calmness. And they respond. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the answer, and they said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here comes, in my opinion, one of the most powerful statements in the, in the whole of Scripture. But even if he doesn't, let it be known, O king, we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Not only did these men respond visibly, they responded vocally. Church, there is an attitude in our culture about I'll let my life shine so I don't have to say anything. There's, there's some power in that. I would rather my life preach than me to preach. There, there's, some, there's some truth to that. But there are times... Where God asked us to open up our mouth and to speak 
And I believe we are living in one of those times where it is not just enough to portray with our lives. That is very, very, very important. Don't hear me say otherwise. It's very important, especially in the culture in which we now live, for our lives to visibly demonstrate Christ. But I believe it's also equally important that we must vocally open up our mouths. There are so many times in our world right now where we have just got run over by the minority of people. Why? Because we sit with our mouths closed. Hello? Are you awake this morning? Do you agree? Amen or oh me? It's a, it's a minority of people out there that are steering the whole country into the depths of hell while the church sits quietly on our hands. We need to demonstrate the love and compassion of a Savior, yes, but we might just need to open up our mouths and talk a little bit. I might need to do that. To his credit, Nebuchadnezzar didn't accept the accusation of the crowd. He brought the three guys in before him to ask them personally, to his credit. Maybe he thought, wow, how, wait a minute. These three, these three guys that I actually fed and I raised up into my kingdom and I'm placed in leadership with me to serve with me, these three guys that I've taken care of and nurtured and done all this stuff for, these three guys are the ones out there not obeying my direct order. Call them in here. I've got to hear this from them myself. Hear it from the horse's mouth. Good for him. It's one thing to make a stand for God, but it's a greater thing to stick to your stand when somebody looks at you and says, why do you believe that? Why do you think that way? Why are you following God? And the Bible says we need to have a reason for our faith. We need to be able to articulate our faith. In church, we live in a generation, if we as the adults, and adults, I'm speaking to us, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 year olds here in the room, it is up to us Our God-given mandate is up to us to show and to demonstrate to those who are coming behind us how to do that. It's not enough to look at the world and point and say it's going to hell in a handbasket. Personally, I don't believe that. I know it looks that way, but I don't believe that. Because I know the end of the book. I've already read the end of the story. By the way, we win, if you're wondering. We win. And there's a generation that I believe, and we talked about this several months ago, we saw moving across the United States of America on college campuses and high school campuses, and I read about another one at Texas A&M this week where revival was breaking out. There's a generation of young people who are craving God, who are hungry for God, but they're looking to some of us who are older saying, please help me, show me the way. And our culture... We sit quietly, sometimes even in the church. We can't do it. We can't afford to do it. Lives are at stake. Spiritual lives are at stake. Maybe these three guys knew that. I don't know. It's remarkable to me, though, that they're asked again. What's great is their talk matched their walk. Not only did they visibly show it with their actions in their lives, but their talk actually matched because they spoke up and then they said, King, we're we're not going to bow down. Which the king should have known that because he knew what had already happened in their lives. In their several years 
15, 16 years probably by this point that they had been together, he knew. But then again, they make a very powerful statement. I wish we had about three hours, because there's more than three hours based on the biblical text. There's more than three hours of things that could be said about the one statement that they said where even if God does not Deliver us, O king, let it be known. We are not going to serve your gods. Can I ask you a question this morning? I'm just going to tell you up front, it's not an easy question. Because the Lord's been asking me the same question this week. Several times when he would bring it to my mind, I was like, Lord, I don't even want to, I don't even want to hear that question right now. I don't want to hear that question. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever talk to the Lord and have these conversations? I know you do. I'm like, Lord, I don't want ask me something else. I don't want to hear that. Here's a question. Are you willing to serve the Lord even if? You fill in the blank. I don't know what even if Blah, blah, blah means to you. Or what question? I believe the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will fill out the rest of the question for you. Are you willing to serve God even if? The one we often think about is, even if he calls me to Africa? Because that's easy, because for most of us, he's not going to call us to Africa. That's an easy one. Yes, Lord, I'll serve you even if you call me to Africa. He's not calling us to Africa. Will I serve you, Lord, even if you don't do things the way I want you to do it? That's basically what they're saying. I looked for this song and I was hoping I could find somebody to sing it this morning because it's an old one. I think it was sung originally by a group called Truth. I'm going to try to read you the lyric without, without losing it, because it's powerful. The chorus says this, Even if he chooses not to move in the way we prayed he would, I'm confident he is working all together for my good. I will stand behind his word, for he is able. Even if. Some of you have already answered that question, by the way, I know. Are you going to honor God, serve God, worship God, even if he brings bad health to your life? I already know many of you in this room going, been there, done that. I'm going to worship the one true God and not bow down to any idol, even if I come to financial ruin. I know there's some people in this room, you've been through some rough financial times and you've Praise God all the way through and he brought you out the other side. Nebuchadnezzar was not happy with that answer. <laughs> he was not happy. I don't know if that's what he was expecting or not, but he was not happy. Matter of fact, the Bible says he was filled with wrath and the New American Standard, which is the best translation for the Greek, says his facial expression was altered, which means when he heard that answer, he got so angry. That it was visible. His anger was so visible, his face changed. He was so angry, and he looked at his 
rulers and his men and the warriors, and he ordered them, heat that furnace up seven times hotter than normal because I am going to make these guys pay. He was not happy. He was not happy. By the way, when you take a stand for the Lord in our culture, if you think everybody's going to give you a brownie and a biscuit, it's not going to happen. They're, they're not going to like it. They're going to get angry. Some people are going to get really upset. I mean, you don't have to go far. Look on social media feeds sometimes. You say something about God and people who don't believe, it's like, pew, pew, pew. I mean, it's like, if some of the comments were bullet fire, we, man, you would have a massacre. So he orders the furnace seven times hotter. And I just wrote a personal note. Maybe this is for somebody. Maybe this was just for me. I just wrote a personal note in the margin of my Bible that says, just because you obey God doesn't mean things are going to get easy. We like to think that sometimes. God, I'm going to do what you tell me and it's going to be easy. Sometimes, sometimes not. I wrote the words, two words in my margin, do hard. Do hard. Matter of fact, when you do hard, if you go back and you look at Daniel chapter 1, it was doing hard that these guys did that gave them enough faith to have the response they had right here in this chapter. They were willing to do hard. These valiant warriors that were commanded, verse 20, by the king, they were in the army, the king's army. They tie up, verse 20, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of the blazing fire. These men tied them up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, their clothes, and they were cast in the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. What's interesting, though, is the warriors don't even make it to the fire. Verse 22, for this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew the men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you picture that happening? These valiant warriors who bind up these three guys who are carrying them into the fire, they don't even get there. They're incinerated poof, because the heat is so hot. Keep in mind, we're kind of zoomed in like a, like a close-up shot in video on the, these three guys and these warriors. But there's a whole crowd of people that's watching this happen. They need to make a movie of this. Use some modern special effects. It'd be incredible. Nebuchadnezzar's seeing all this happen. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the flames of the fire. Still tied up, verse 23. Verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar the king is astounded. He stands up in haste and he responds to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. He answered and said, But look, I see four men. Loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Folks, if that does not energize you, somebody, punch your neighbor and just say, are you awake this morning? Come on, punch your neighbor make sure they're awake this morning. Can you imagine? The king is astounded. He literally stands up. 
He stands up in haste. He's wondering what in the world is going on. His attention is caught because perhaps he can see what's going on with these men. Some biblical scholars say, if you study the text on that, that there was probably some singing, that the guys were marching around in the fire singing, Oh, praise the Lord. I don't know what they were doing. But he stands up and he sees us. And he's, wait a minute, there's not just three guys in there. There's four guys in there. Now, there's all kind of theological things you can think. I don't know who the fourth person was. Some people say it was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, before coming to this planet, said, I'm going to show up and stand in the midst of three guys who are willing to die and give their lives for me. Amazing if that's true. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the king, the king is freaking out. I mean, just, just imagine if you're sitting around a campfire and you throw anything in there. I, I don't know what you would, you know, you throw a marshmallow in there because you didn't get your s'more cooked just right. And you throw your marshmallow in there and it's not being consumed. As a matter of fact, it's looking back at you with a smile on its white face. I don't know what you, I know I'm weird. I know you figure that out by now. I don't know what comes to your mind, but to think that some, the king is not looking at the fire yet because he, he naturally thinks, I just had my valiant warriors consumed and they didn't even fall into the fire. He's thinking as soon as the guys fall in the fire, they're incinerated, boom, this whole thing's over. Everybody, let's strike up the band again and let's worship this golden image. He has no idea. And all of a sudden, somebody, somehow, it comes to his attention that these three guys are marching around four now marching around in the fire and he peers inside and what happens verse 25 he answers and says look I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods and Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire he responded And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. You servants of the Most High God, come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the midst of the fire. Amazing. They stood up visibly. They stood up vocally. Most importantly, they stood up victoriously. All the people that had been gathered together are watching this. Verse 27, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the kings, high officials, they've gathered around. They see in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies. There was not a hair singed. Their trousers weren't damaged. They come out styling just like they were when they were thrown in. Their trousers are clean. There's not even a smell of fire on them, not a smell of smoke on them. They come walking out of the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar responds to all that. It says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own God. Victorious. Victorious. Therefore, he says in verse 29, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue 
that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Let me ask you a question. Again, I'm, you, you know me by now, church, I'm pretty transparent. Are you walking through a fire right now? I am. You're walking through a difficulty right now, challenge right now? Maybe with your family, maybe with your marriage, maybe with your finances. By the way, that's, that's pretty much everybody in the room, just in case you're thinking you're weird. I know we like to put on our Sunday best, but we're family. We can be honest. We're all, we're all facing some kind of fire, some kind of challenge. I want to encourage you with some, with some final words here. When these guys stepped out of the fire, while there was no effect on them, they didn't smell like fire, they didn't smell like smoke, their clothes weren't singed, their hair was probably... Still looking, perfect place. There was no effect. The scripture says there was no effect of them being in the fire, but there was a lot of effects in a lot of other ways. Let me give them to you. Here they are really quick, five of them, and we're done. Verse 25 says this, that when the king looked down, he saw these guys loosed and walking around. Some of us need to be loosed. I need to be loosed in some areas of my life. We show up sometimes on Sunday and we're moving around like this, but spiritually, we're tied up. The Lord doesn't want us to live that way. The Lord wants to loose us. If you want a Bible word that might scare some of us because maybe the charismatics have stole this from us so we don't like to use it in the Baptist world, but it doesn't make it less biblical. It's just as biblical as any other word that we might use. Some of us need to be delivered from some of the things that have us in bondage. And what's interesting about this story is after they go through the fire, they are loosed. They're delivered. They're set free. I don't know what it is. You, you fill in the blank. But that's one of the effects that happens oftentimes when you go through the fire. God will loose you just like he did with these men. The second thing that we see here is they're walking. Even in the midst of the fire, they're walking. How is that possible? How is it that I can see some, some really godly people in this church and in the culture and friends of mine that I know who are going through tremendous, tremendous difficulty, pain in the fire, and they're still walking forward, one foot in front of the other. They're still moving forward. Why? Because they know God. So the good news is, even in the midst of the fire, we can walk. But Nebuchadnezzar says some interesting things to these guys in verse 26. When he calls them out, he calls them out by saying, servants of the most high God. In other words, you went into the fire, I was kind of chastising you, you violated the decree that I gave you, but now you have been vindicated because I'm telling you and telling everybody within the sound of my voice that's watching this, these three guys serve the servant of the Most High God. 
Some of you are saying, I need that day to come, Pastor Jack. I need that day to come. I'm waiting to be vindicated. Trust me, it's coming. If you're following the Lord Jesus Christ on the authority of His Word, not on the authority of Jack Eason, but on the authority of His Word, if you are following Christ, He will vindicate you if you've been wronged, if you've gone through some trial in your life, and you're trying to get to the other side, the Lord will vindicate you, much like, dear friends, He will vindicate every person who has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and put their, their lives under the blood. We will be vindicated on that day when He comes back and says, I'm coming to take you home. Now, we may have 24 hours till that happens, or we may have 24 years. I have no idea. But that's a promise from God's word. We're going to be vindicated. The people actually saw this happen when he, when he made this announcement. Verse 27 tells us that. Here's the other thing verse 27 tells us. All this stuff that they were going through during the fire, they come out, no smell, no hair singed. If you're in the fire, I want to encourage you with this. God's, God's protection is there. God's watching you. Don't believe the lie from the enemy that's telling you God forgot where you live. He don't know your address. You're suffering through that by yourself. God don't even have a clue. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God knows what you're going through right now. And he loves you and he's protecting you and he's watching over you just like he was these three guys in the fire. The last effect that we see is even the king himself praises God for a little while. He praises these three men because he says, you put your confidence, verse 28, you put your trust, your confidence in God. He even acknowledges that they contradicted the king's command and yielded up their bodies. So church, I don't know what you're going through today. What furnace, what fiery furnace you might be facing. But here's one thing I do know. God's there. And He loves you. And He'll protect you. Stephen said it earlier. These guys could have, could have bowed down with a crowd. Nobody probably would have noticed because there was such a large crowd of people. They could have just bowed down. But in their hearts, been going, God, you know this is not what we really believe, but we're going to just do what everybody else does. But they didn't do it. They weren't just men of conviction. They were men of action. How's God speaking to you this morning? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Lord, if you only spoke to one person today, I can raise my hand and say it was me. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room today. Thank you that so many of us in this place are standing for you in this crazy world. Visibly, by leading our families. By loving on our spouse the way you told us to. By being a part of the family of God in worship visibly. We're, we're doing that in so many ways. Thank you. Lord, perhaps today more than anything, maybe for some of us you're saying, that's great, but you need to speak up. You speak out. 
Truth does no good if it's unheard. The truth of God will set us free, Lord, if we let people know what that truth is. So maybe the challenge you've given these friends today, I know you've given it to me, is speak up, speak up visibly. Lord, thank you that just as you spared these three guys in a fiery furnace for every person who puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, you have spared all of us from the fiery furnace of hell. That will not be our home. That will not be our eternal destination. For those of us who have said yes to you. And maybe there's somebody here today that would say, you know what, I, I've, never, I've never done that. I've never placed my full trust in Jesus. Friend, this morning as you're praying quietly there in your seat, if that's you and you'd say, I need to do that today. I can't think of a better day to say yes to Christ than right now. Maybe right there in the quietness of your seat, in the quietness of your heart, there's no special formula, there's no special prayer. It's really just the sincerity of your heart and your desire to say with your own words something like this, Jesus, I need you. I have, I have failed you. I have fallen short. And I'm placing my trust in you, much like those three guys did that day. And I want you to save me. If that's the prayer of your heart, in just a minute, we're going to have a closing song, an invitation hymn. And when the music starts and we begin to sing, much like happened in this story, I want to ask you just to slip out of your seat, not to bow to an image, but to bow in your heart to the Lord Jesus and say, I give you my life, if that's you today. I know the vast majority of us in this room have done that, but maybe there's something in our lives that we need to let the Lord set us free from to deliver us, to loosen us. Father, would you have your way today? I just I sense a real heaviness in this room. I don't, I don't know what you're doing today, Lord. I don't know what you want to do. I know you want us to leave different than when we came. I know that. Thank you, God, that you are our only hope. We can put our trust in a lot of places, but you are our only hope. And so this morning, we just ask you to move in in the midst of our church family and speak to our hearts. Help us to obey, not just be people of conviction, but put action to our conviction and help us to obey. In Christ's name, amen. Just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand and join me as we sing. My friend Heath will be here. Stephen's going to lead us in our invitation hymn, our song. If you feel led to make some kind of decision, surrender a part of your life this morning. Give your heart to Christ. We'll be here to pray with you. If you need to pray this morning, if you need to grab a spouse or a family member and grab them and bring them to the altar and pray, I hope you'll be obedient to what God's speaking to your heart. Would you stand with me and let's sing together? He is our living hope this morning. Sing it out if you need to respond. Pray you do that today. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope.com 
at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.